Okay, so, um, so I don't have to tell any of you, but child obesity is a global epidemic uh, with two and a half million um, kids in the UK overweight or obese, actually close, approaching three million, um, and 25 million in, in the US, just to put it into perspective. So MEND actually stands for Mind, Exercise, Nutrition, Do It. So it's an, as any good research project, it started off life as a, as a research project, so we have an acronym, and the acronym has stuck with us um, since then. Uh, MEND is actually a child obesity organization, and we provide evidence-based, family-oriented programs to both prevent and treat child obesity. And we also do a lot of training to frontline staff to build local capacity and skills around the issue of child obesity. So for example, um, equipping school nurses, GPs, people like that with how to raise the issue of weight. Like how do you tell a parent that their child is obese? Very simple skills that probably none of you, I certainly didn't get trained in when we at university. So very practical stuff. All of our programs are multi-component and the NICE guidelines recommend that any um, child obesity interventions are multi-component and so it covers sort of nutrition, behavior change and physical activity all in one. Um, all of our programs are designed by child obesity experts but for delivery by a whole range of non-child obesity experts. So a whole range of health, people from health, education, fitness and um, childcare. All of the programs are delivered in the community and take a family um, approach and people get onto, parents and children get onto the programs either through self-referral or they can be referred from school nurse, GP, community dietitian, practice nurse, anything like that. All of the programs are in line with all the UK guidance and obviously our programs run internationally in line with international guidance. So this is currently um, just a snapshot of the types of interventions we have. The ones in dark blue are things that are actually that are available, that are currently available, and the others are things that are in development. So we have programs for healthy weight, overweight, and obese kids, and we work at the treatment, at the nexus of treatment, prevention, and capacity building. So you can see that the interventions that are available at the moment is MEN 2 to 4, otherwise known as mini-MEN in the field, MEN 5 to 7s, and the MEN program, which is sort of our flagship program um, for 7 to 13 year olds. And we're just about to launch a movement campaign, it's a national physical activity um, program, obesity prevention program being launched in schools. 250,000 children will receive packs that have been done in schools with teachers aiming to increase um, physical activity. Uh, we're just about to put out a job description for a program developer to lead on maternity men, so a, a pregnancy intervention, which will probably cover go up to the second year of life. And then we've got men resources, again, educational resources for school, and that's for the future. And men light, we're looking at the moment, which is probably going to be adult weight management focused, but in leisure centers run by people like person trainers um, in gym. They will incorporate some, um, some nutrition and behavior change. And then you can see the training we do at the bottom. So we do quite a lot. Uh, the MEN program is the first program we talk about. It's for 7 to 13 year old children and their parents. Um, it's not a drop-off club. Parents have to come along. Um, and there's a very good reason for that, which I'm sure you're all aware of. But unless you actually include parents, you don't get any sustainable change. You can't expect children to um, be total agents of change within their families, not the kids that do the shopping and the cooking and all that kind of stuff. So, Parental attendance is mandatory, 
it was developed in partnership with Great Ormond Street and um, ICH, and it is the largest community-based child obesity weight management program. When the kids finish the program, they're offered a support package which lasts for two years. So the program is 10 weeks, the intensive part, but then there's support um, to two years. The, the, the total length of the intervention is two years. So this is how it's structured. It's 20 sessions over 10 weeks, very intensive, twice a week. Um, split into behavior change sessions, nutrition, exercise, with measurements before and after. And the families come on for two hours. The kids have 60 minutes of sort of a classroom-based activity, which is focused on nutrition or behavior change. Then the kids go off and exercise for an hour while we do um, additional sort of parent um, workshops on specific topics. So this is just a breakdown, just a rough overview of what each of the components comprises of. The mind part is all the stuff you'd expect to see, goals and rewards, helping, encouraging parents to be better role modeling, teaching parents to differentiate when their child's actually hungry or when it's a craving. Um, a lot of work on positive parenting, what to do if your child's being bullied or bullying other children. We know there's a very strong link with sleep and obesity, helping parents get kids to go to sleep on time, making sure they get enough sleep and a lot of work on self-esteem and confidence of the kids, not only the kids, but also the parents. And five of the eight sessions are for parents only. The exercise is all the stuff you expect. It's done in land and water, depending on facilities. It's done in groups. It's non-competitive. It starts off easy, it gets harder. Uh, there's no winner, there's no losers or winners. And there's a very strong focus on multi-skills activity, which improve balance, agility, coordination, and it uses things like dance, voice, and drama. So it's not boot camp, it's not getting the kids doing loads of sit-ups and push-ups like you see on TV and all these sort of fat people programs. Um, the nutrition part is basically customized healthy eating. It's not a diet, it's very practical. The kids get nutrition targets that they aim for every week. Um, it's about educating and empowering families and it's very practical. This isn't a you are what you eat where we try and get them all to eat organic. Um, locally sourced, um, vegetarian or vegan sort of things like a Julian Nikita program. This is actually saying, you know what, if you're going to eat ready-made pizza, or you're going to buy pizza, read the label and choose the one that's lower in fat and, and salt kind of thing. So it's making the best choices within the kind of foods that they would normally eat, which is obviously a much more sustainable model and getting them to change everything in their diets. And the doing, this is um, an extremely important part and maybe something that's been neglected in other similar interventions. And this is really about motivating and empowering the family to do it for themselves. Because at the end of the day, they don't do it for themselves. Us as health professionals, primary care, health workers, whatever, we can't force people to do stuff. And I think we've learned that if you look back through the history of, sort of public health. You can't get people to do stuff unless they decide to do it for themselves. So it's a very important part of the program. We teach using very sort of um, family-friendly child and parent. This is just an example of how we work with internal triggers with parents, but when we do it with the kids, it's not even game for who wants to be a healthy in there. Just some pictures of the kids doing some of the land-based games, some of the water-based games. Um, all the families learn to read labels, um, and you can see parents and kids practicing together kid reading up their two nutrition targets for that week. All the families go on a supermarket tour um, where they put all their label reading skills into practice. We have free vegetable tasting. 
and it's very all very practical. This is just one of the demonstrations we do: fats and sugars. Anyone like to take a guess how many teaspoons of sugar there are in 500 ml of Coca-Cola? How many? 24. Uh, not that many. Uh, try halving it. About 11. So 11 teaspoons in a 500 ml bottle of Coca-Cola. So you know many families aren't aware of that. When you say stuff like, "Would you have a cup of tea with 11 teaspoons of sugar?" They're like, "Oh, never." So why would you drink Coca-Cola? And they go, "Well, you can't taste it." So. You know, does anyone know where you can't taste the sugar in Coca-Cola, the sweetness? How do they tell you to drink it? Cold. Cold. Cold master taste of sugar. Has anyone ever left your bottle of Coca-Cola in the car and it's warmed up and then it tastes like syrup? There's also other factors, but the sugar is all hidden in there and, you know, a packet of Haribo's is over, um, it's one of those, it's basically about almost 30. 35 teaspoons of sugar. So, you know, a lot of families will eat these things and have and just aren't aware. Um, when the kids finish the 10 week intensive program, we have what's called graduates, and we have a whole team now called a Sustainable Outcomes team that focus on activities and support mechanisms to help encourage the families to continue uh, maintaining the behavior changes they've made during the program, but also trying to make new, um, healthy. Um, take on new healthy um, behaviors in the long term. So we have a whole range of things. The kids all have, uh, they get their membership, uh, which is like the membership after the program, which gives them access to a website. They get a workbook that they go through with their parents. There's stickers and badges for various um, for various um, behaviors, like keeping track, you know, five, if they, for example, eat their five portions of food and veg for a week, they get a badge, if they get stickers for each day, and there's charts, all the stuff. Um, it's using self-monitoring, giving them to monitor, and the parents as well. Then there's local stuff, so they get uh, weekly exercise classes that continue off the program, which are delivered locally. They also get, centrally, they get newsletters, um, there's challenges, there's online um, um, growth trackers, so encouraging the parents to continue inputting their, their um, weight or height so we can follow them up long-term and get long-term data on the kids. And then there's a champion phase, which is still in development. So that's just very quickly, just giving you a real um, quick overview of the MEN program for 7 to 13 year olds. Um, I thought I might just take you quickly through um, some of the evidence behind the program. We did our first trial in 2001, we started working in 2001, it's a feasibility trial. We did a pilot, a phase one RCT. We now have roll-up data, so actually showing, it's one thing having an RCT, it's another thing having data in the real world showing that what happens in the real world matches the RCT. And we've just started working, um, just about to start our phase two UK RCT, and we have a US RCT and an Australian RCT. Um, all of this above here is on the men program, 7 to 13. So the Australian one is looking at mini men, which is two to four years, with boys and swim friends leading that work. So looking at obesity prevention. <coughs> and that's just to acknowledge our UK research team. So the results of the phase one randomized control trial, it was a relatively small trial, 117 kids, just over half girls, just over half were from minority ethnic groups. Uh, we rated social class according to um, parents' occupation, and 63.5% were manual labor unemployed. Mean age of the kids was 10, and the mean BMI-Z score was 2.8, which means they're moderately obese children, not, not severely obese like many of the kids you see in some of the American hospital-based studies, but they have BMI-Z scores of 3.54, even higher. 
So these are kids really in the community who would be um, obese, but actually very unlikely to have any sort of known health comorbidities or health problems. And in fact, they're actually excluded from the study if they had any known comorbidities. I'm sure if you looked, if you took bloods and did MRIs and various other things, you would, you know, you would find. We did, we measured blood pressure and actually went had one child in out of the 117 that had raised blood pressure. So they're relatively healthy kids. Um, so these are the results of baseline three and six months. And you can see that waist circumference, green is the intervention, um, dropped at three months, was reduced at three months. And the interesting thing is the intervention only lasted from there to there. We did give them free access to their local swimming pool after the program, but it evaluated very poorly. I think the average use was five times in three months. But the interesting thing is the waist circumference continued to drop to, at six months. The difference between groups at six months was 4.3 centimeters, which is almost two inches, um, so two notches on the adult, which is quite significant for an adult, the child and even adults. Um, BMI, similar picture, reduced to three months, continued to drop at six months. The difference between groups at six months was 1.9 BMI units, so just under two BMI units, which again is quite a significant um, weight loss. We then um, adjusted for age, sex, and baseline to see if we still had these significant differences between groups. And so when we looked at waist conference in terms of Z-scores, you can see there's a 0.4 difference between groups at six months, which was highly significant, and BMI was 0.2. So even when we adjusted for age, sex, and baseline, we still have these significant differences between groups. We measured physical activity using a questionnaire, um, which is not a very reliable way to measure physical activity, but in 2004, or 2003, we were planning study, accelerometers were about 500 pounds each. So we just couldn't afford them. Then they're a lot cheaper now and it's much easier to do. So we use questionnaires. And you can see that physical activity increased um, over six months. We lost significance there. Our control group increased their physical activity. And we think that's a seasonal effect. A lot of, you know, when those measure, a lot of our control group being measured six months going into summer, kids in this country get very active when the summer comes, the few months of summer we do have. Um, this is recovery heart rate. This is a validated step test. And you can see the children's recovery heart rate dropped at three months and six months. So the children were significantly fitter at six months compared to the control group. We measured self-esteem using a validated children's questionnaire. And you can see self-esteem was significantly higher in the intervention group compared to the control group for six months. Now, the way this study was designed is all the kids, basically, our control group got the intervention in six months, so it was a delayed intervention group. So after six months, we don't have any control data. But what we did is we followed up the first group of children to 12 months. So this is within subject or longitudinal data using the kids as their own control groups at 12 months, comparing 12 months to baseline. Um, and is that number so low because we only followed up half? And as Tim Cole says, there's no reason to expect the other half wouldn't have done what this half did. But obviously, this isn't controlled. So this is waist circumference, and you can see waist circumference said score was 0.5. Um, their waist circumference at 12 months was 0.5 less than at the start. Um, BMI, the same 0.2 reduction, said score reduction, is the reduction we saw at six months was maintained at 12 months, so they maintained the their weight loss in 12 months. The kids were doing four hours more physical activity per week, and they were still significantly fitter. Their, and their self-esteem was still significantly raised. So it looks like all of the 
positive health and psychosocial outcomes we saw in six months were maintained to 12 months. We don't know what, ha what happens after 12 months at the moment. Um, we also managed to achieve, I think one of the most impressive things about the study was we managed to achieve an A6% attendance rate and we only had 3% dropouts. Now, I just thought I'd quickly just summarize the national rollout results. So this is data from kids all around the UK who have been through the MEN program between January to June 2008. And obviously this is just data three months. Um, so this is just over 2,000 children, very similar demographics, um, although not as, not as many much, uh, families of minority ethnic groups. That's the UK national average. So you can still see we are targeting more families from minority ethnic groups than you would expect from the national average. 34% single parents, so that's 10% higher than the national average. Um, and we're just measuring social class using a proxy of whether they're only at home or not. And you can see it's 20% higher than you would expect from the national average. Similar mean age, exact same mean BMI set scores in RCT. Um, and in terms of attendance, we managed to achieve a 77% attendance rate. So this is nationally in over 2,000 children. And what we've noticed is as they go through programs, as the team's delivering, they get used to delivering intervention, so attendance goes up. So we're on 9% dropouts nationally, and rollout results are very broadly aligned to the RCT results. This data has been pre um, presented at the European Congress in BC in May. Yeah. So um, I haven't published those yet, but they will be published in journal. I always put this up just because it makes it all, brings it all to life, really. Um, the kind of feedback you get when you do these kinds of things. And I think you can't really put into um, data, you know, the, the feedback you get when a parent, for example, has taken their child to the dietitian, the GP, they've been on Weight Watchers, they've done the cabbage soup diet, they've tried everything, the child's been bullied, and this is the first thing that works for them. You can't put that into, so you can't really collect that type of information, but it, it is life-changing for many families who've, you know, really struggled with this issue. So I'm going to go very quickly through Minimen and Men 5 to 7s. The Minimen program is an early years child eating prevention program. So we're trying to work with kids before the problems develop. So the program is structured slightly differently. It has an active play session. So children, um, parents actually talk to do physical activity or play with their kids. And you might think that's a bit strange. Like why do parents need to be taught to play with their kids? But you'd be surprised how few parents actually actively play with their children on a daily basis. Kids are putting on the TV, mum's busy, dad's at work, and you know they just don't engage in play, and that's where children learn. That's what the main source of physical activity for, for kids. They then have a snack time, which is about introducing kids to new foods, fruits and vegetables mainly, that they, you know, a lot of parents would say, my child doesn't eat vegetables or fruit. So using peer modeling and a cartoon character will actually encourage the kids and the parents to try new things and then show them how to prepare um, new, new foods using it. And then the parents have a parents-only workshop while the kids have a creative play session. This is just comparing the two. Um, it's only once a week. Um, the parents do the physical activity along with the kids. It's open to all children, so it doesn't target overweight or obese two to four-year-olds. It's for all two to four-year-olds. Um, and again, we've done various trials, feasibility study, field trial, and phase one and phase two, and those have been published, but the, the references are there. 
basically, it's very hard to evaluate these programs because you're not trying to encourage these kids to lose weight because they're growing and many of them are healthy weight. So the evaluation that we're going to be doing that we've done in the past was really looking more to psychosocial um, outcomes, parental feeding styles, parental confidence in, in um, pa parenting skills and stuff like that. And in Australia, they're going to be doing quite interesting outcomes, but it's all focused on um, parenting practices and styles as opposed to weight loss with hopefully longer-term follow-ups. So, for example, looking at these kids at school entry and seeing if their incidence of obesity is lower than their peers. But it's going to take sort of at least three, four, five years to get that kind of data. So it's long-term follow-up. 5 to 7 is our newest program. And that just disappeared for some reason. Um, and it's all structured on it's all sort of themed and it's all about journey to men world where they get different tickets every week for doing different behaviors. So again, it's just using really fun-based engaging techniques to, to work with the kids and families. Um, I'm not sure if you're all aware, but all children are now being measured at school entry and year six in this country. It's called the National Child Measurement Program. And what this has done is raised the fact that 35 to 39% of 47 year olds are overweight or obese in this country. And basically, there's no, there's no national program for children who are overweight between the, the, at the age of sort of five to seven. So obviously, we have a gap between mini men and men programs. So we've had a high demand from people we really work with. And so we've developed a program specifically for this age range. Unfortunately, it would be much easier for us if we could have just used the one program for 2 to 13, but as you'll be aware, kids are growing at different stages, developmental stages, feeding um, developmental stages, different parenting practices of different ages. So we've had to develop these, these tailored programs for the different ages. Um, but, you know, at least we're much more likely to work if they're being tailored than just sort of a one-size-fits-all solution. Okay, so that's just an overview of those programs. Um, quick overview of MEN. Um, when we developed MEN, what we became aware of quite early on was that um, academic institutions don't have the knowledge and expertise to roll out national programs. So we were trying to think, you know, what type of organisation, we've got the program, we've got the research, there's a huge problem, how do we roll this out? And basically, we came to the conclusion that there wasn't actually one organization that could actually do that, or one sector that could do that. So we formed um, a separate organization called MEN, and MEN is basically classed as a social enterprise. And the way it works is we basically work within the, the public, private, academic, and third sector. So it's about partnership with getting all of these sectors to work together um, to achieve a common goal. Sorry, did you ask a question? Oh, what's Third sector in this country is like your charities and NGOs, non-governmental organizations, anything that's not private, public, or academic. Um, and the way we work at the moment um, is here are the children and, and families, here's MEND. We, um, the program is provided free to all families in this country, but obviously someone has to pay for it. So what we do is we work very hard and partnership development team that go out and try and raise funds um, from the private, public, and public sector mainly. That, th that money actually funds us to develop a program and everything you need to deliver the program. So 
what we do is um, we have delivery partners, which are local authorities, primary care trusts, who actually physically deliver the program. So the funding indirectly funds all the children there and then provides the monitoring and ev evaluation. So it's a bit of a round, um, sort of bit of a long-winded process. But obviously in this country, we're all health, we have a social health care system, NHS, everything's free. Um, we, didn't, we didn't want it to be a sort of paid model. So that's the way it works in this country. Um, so what we've managed to do so far is raise 19 million pounds of project funding, which is um, going to allow us to deliver 2,300 men programs at over 300 locations, working with 150 elite partners. And so we have funding now for 29,000 families to go through the program. We, we just had our 10,000 child go through the program, so we're a third of the way through our funding. Uh, we've got funding for 1,000 families through Minimed, quarter of a million are going to get the MOVE campaign. We've trained just over 5,000 healthcare professionals, and we've got funding for eight best practice conferences. So just as just to put it into perspective, we, we work in, in different countries. So in terms of in this country, in the east of England, which I thought would be relevant for you guys, we have 73 MEND sites, 73 places where families can go to that run the MEND program, and there's 28 mini-MEND sites. Um, just to give you an idea of what other places are doing, the Department of Health West Midlands has just done a, a pilot across this whole strategic health authority. So all of the 22 PCTs are all um, delivering their programs. Um, some of you may have seen some newspapers in all papers, even the Metro, I don't know if you get Metro in Oxford, but it's in all the papers. Um, the Welsh Assembly Government has, has commissioned men for the whole of Wales, so that, that happened just before Christmas. And we've just been commissioned by the New South Wales Government and the um, Minister for Health in Victoria to roll Mendarks in New South Wales, and Victoria is part of their Kids Life program. And we also have men running in Denmark, which is a Ministry of Health funded pilot with an organisation called Oxford, Oxford Health Alliance. New Zealand's just started the program and they are looking at using it for children with special education needs, which is obviously really interesting to see whether it can be modified for kids with special needs. And in the USA, we have programs in New York and Texas um, and programs to start in, in various other places in the US. Mend in the US is a foundation, which is equivalent to a charity not for profit. So these are our major partners in the UK, and I'm sure many of you have seen Change for Life, um, which is a great campaign and, and looking to be very successful so far. We also have many local funding and delivery partners, so anything with the lozenges, the NHS, so basically PCTs, local authorities, and um, leisure providers, like people who run leisure centres. Those are the main types of people we work with. And the way we've managed to sort of scale up um, so quickly is due to a few factors, really. Um, the first factor is, is research and making sure that what we do is evaluating and we do have the evidence base um, to, to know that what we do is working. The social enterprise model has also been really useful in this country because it's allowed us to um, act like the private sector, but with a non-public sector ethos. And I think, as I said before, you would, the NHS and universities would really struggle to roll out a program of this kind. They just don't have the capabilities or the experience. So we had to learn very quickly, but being a social enterprise has really helped. Turnkey solution, um, the feedback we get has been fantastic. That means that we provide people with everything they need to do the program. So it's like a solution in a box. 
Um, they just have to turn the key to get the results. So deliver the program has been useful. Train the leaders, so we don't physically run the programs. It's like train the train, and we train people to deliver programs in their own communities. At the end of the day, those people are experts <coughs> in their own communities. I'm not an expert on what happens in Oxford, whereas local dietitians, local health professionals would be. So we train them, we give them the solution in the box, and they apply it to their own community. Um, obviously, the family context and having the whole community involved is crucial. All families go to the program. Are, are measured before and after and long into the future so we can have the data to show that you know that that it is working or evaluating it and we work very closely with the media the media is probably one of the most important things we do any, any idea why the media would be so important what we do other than getting us into you know just raising awareness but what's the main purpose of the media to think for a program like that Sorry? You want people to come through the door and choose to do it themselves. Exactly. Recruitment, raising awareness and getting families that are motivated interested to pick up the phone and register. Remember, it's self-referral and professional referral. The ones that self-referral are the motivated ones, and they generally do really well in the program. Um, so, so basically, all of those make the program clinically effective, able to be scaled up quickly, replicated all over the place and around the world, cost-effective, and obviously measurable. So the way we do things is we have a whole range of manuals, the whole programs are manualized and standardized. As I said, everything you need to run a program is in a box. So that just gives you an indication of what you need to run a MEN program. Everything you see there comes in the black bag, it's the MEN kit. Um, but doing that at hundreds of locations means that, oh, sorry, I'm just kicking ahead and stuff. Um, that's to run the program. The kids get a whole bunch of stuff. They get t-shirts, handouts, binders, folders, certificates, um, I just brought some of these to show you. They get these nutrition targets charts, so just making the nutrition targets fun, they scratch them out um, every week. We also have a detective card that's for parents to keep in their wallet when they go shopping with our label reading rules. And also, as I'm sure some of you are aware, after a certain age, your eyesight tends to go a bit. And the writing on labels is very small, so giving them you know, the card with the magnifying glass. Very similar, very simple stuff, but effective. And then this is one of the things we've had the most feedback on, which is, um, might look really simple, but that's, it's very hard for parents to put, um, to get into their head how much children actually need to eat portion sizes. And this cup, this cup helps them to measure how much their kid needs, or how much a portion is. Because what you'll find is many kids are eating healthy food, but the foods they're eating, they're eating adult sized portions, basically. And so just developing something like that and giving the family um, the feedback has been fantastic in that. So that's what, you know, being able to sort of have the volume and grow has enabled us to, you know, spend time and money developing extra resources and aids, teaching aids for the families. Um, this is just to show you that making these kits is no small feat. Everything you can see in this picture is stuff that goes into our many kits. So logistically, it's a major major project and that's why I said you couldn't imagine your university producing these kind of kits or 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 yeah or the NHS. So it's done specifically by a separate company who does it for us. The whole um, program is mon is managed and monitored online. So each site has local access to the program where it's not only helps them project manage, it's also um, all the resources that are developed for the program by different people around the country 
get periodic consistent so they can everyone can learn from each other and share resources as opposed to everyone reinventing the wheel. And it also collects all the measurements from the kids. So all the measurements that are taken, all the questionnaires that are filled in are entered locally. So we centrally get data coming into us from all over the country on a whole range of things. Um, and it means we can also benchmark sites, we can see who's doing really well, who's not doing so well, and offer further support or training. So it's, it's a great tool, this. Um, I won't bore you with this, but it's really important. Um, obviously, we're working with children and families and health, you know, quality assurance, making sure people in the field are doing what they are meant to be doing. But looking at the fidelity of the program um, is really important. So we have a whole quality assurance team that goes up there and does random site visits and a whole range of other things. Uh, we have a 20 year partnership. Something that I, as my background is an academic, but was very excited about is the fact that in the real world you can actually continually improve things. When you do research, you write your protocol, you have intervention, and you can't change it. So you might start doing intervention and suddenly think, oh, this would have worked a lot better, or you get feedback, and it's actually a real mission to do an amendment and to change intervention. In the real world, the minute you get feedback from people, people running the program, the minute new evidence comes out, new government guidelines, feedback, you can continually incorporate that feedback and make the program get better and better and more effective and incorporate all these learning. So that's what we call, it's a process of continuous improvement. And we have a team of men um, who have over 100 years of collective experience in designing um, weight management interventions who are continually incorporating this um, and making sure the programs continue to get better. Um, everyone who runs the programs is invited twice a year to Best Practice Conference. The last one was in Sheffield and the next one is in London. And again, people, the feedback from this is great because for the first time it's people going to a conference where everyone's actually doing something instead of just talking about the problem and everyone's doing the same intervention. So it's really um, inspiring and empowering um, to come along to one of these. We also have best practice awards, so people apply every year because, for example, I think Peterborough, what did they do? I can't remember, but I think they delivered the program in Punjabi. Um, and so they won an award in one of the categories for innovation or for something, I can't remember. But it really inspires people to share best practice and apply for these awards. And we get over, I think the last time we had over 160 people applying for the best practice awards in different categories. We have the website as well, which is also growing and changing, um, and there's much more to come on this. And I mentioned the PR media, which is the main way we raise awareness for programs. And I just included some just for fun, just to show you. This was in the People, February 2009, story of one of the kids who been through programs, and well, I haven't actually even read it to it, but that's one. There was also the one in the Sun, Again, you might think this is quite sort of tacky, as I do, but families read these things, and they will read the story of Jack, who, you know, we try not to focus on weight loss, but they will see that, and I'll see that, and I'll pick up the phone. When we, when we had this article in, I think we had over 700 phone calls just from one piece, and that's families going to be in the program. So you can't underestimate the, the value of media. We've also had things, you know, we obviously do more, I'm bright, more, um, this was in the Guardian, focusing on many men, is enough being done to teach them the files about the benefits of healthy diet. And you can see one of our leaders with the many men kid. 
Um, recently, this again, you know, whatever you may think of Gok Wan, he did a documentary on Channel 4 about his life as a beast teenager. And we had over 800 phone calls because he featured men in it. And this is just an article he did, which also featured men. But you can't underestimate the, the benefits of, sort of partnering or, or working with people who parents and children really, they're role models and they're celebrities, no matter what you may think of them yourself. Um, so it's just something to think of if anyone's involved in primary care. One of the biggest problems in sort of public health interventions is recruitment often. And so it's using the media to our advantage. Uh, we also uh, worked very closely with the Department of Health as Alan Johnson came to our site a couple of months ago in Islington, PCT. Uh, and I'm speaking at a conference room in Hull. Uh, he's a very big fan of the program. Obviously, it ticks a lot of government's boxes. And that's basically it. I just included some references at the end because what I'll do is I'll make this into a PDF and give it to Caroline so um, you can have a copy if you like. And I just thought I'd leave you with a map of the UK where all of our programs are, so each of those is the main program site. Thank you.